Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As a nation, we face the most important five years I can remember. That is why I took the decision to call a general election, so that we have the strong and stable leadership we need to see us through Brexit and beyond. The choice at the election is clear. Strong and stable leadership with me in the national interest, or a hung parliament and coalition of chaos under Jeremy Corbyn, which every single one of us will pay for, in higher taxes, fewer jobs, more waste and more debt. This will harm working families. That is too big a risk to take. To take, to take, to take. Brexit means Brexit. The campaign was fought, the vote was held, turnout was high, and the public gave their verdict. There must be no attempts to remain inside the EU, no attempts to rejoin it through the back door, and no second referendum. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Bro, I'm out, man. Hello and welcome back to episode 87 of the Dishonomics podcast. The snippets previously and the hook in the background should let you know (coughs) the theme of today's podcast. Today we're talking Brexit, we're talking Theresa May, taking hella hella L's, we're talking what's going to happen in the future. Another update for you lovely people to keep you guys in the loop with what's going on in great british politics first of all shout out to all those who listened to the previous week's podcast episode 86 with the lovely annette abena we were discussing african economics we're talking about china and their basic colonization of africa we're talking diaspora wars we're talking women in tech, women entrepreneurship, tech in general. We're talking a lot of stuff to do with Africa and economics, so make sure you check that out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, I think on Stitcher and man there, so make sure you check that out. Now, with this week's episode, as you can guess, we heard from Theresa May talking a hella talk, talking about strong and stable in a run-up to the snap election. Then Prime Minister May was talking, Brexit means Brexit. Boy, from the from the concessions you made in the Brexit deal that you signed a couple of weeks ago, which um, me, Mems, and David podcasted on, you had to you had to run it back to the shop because Mums, you weren't happy with the groceries that you purchased. It's all looking a bit mad. This week, I'm joined by a young bright mind. Shout out Yusuf. We're going to discuss what has been going on this week. It's been a quite um, busy week in the world of UK politics. I know it might not come to the listeners naturally, so we're going to try to break it down and keep you up to date so you don't have to be going looking and in between articles. we got, we got you man covered. Not you man, you man and ladies as well. And we're going to discuss where we see things going. We're going to talk about our own personal views on Brexit as well, our own personal views on Theresa May and what's been going on. So I hope you enjoy. Let's go. Hi, it's MXM, and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Hello, and welcome back to episode, I think, might be 87, might be 88. If it's 88, I'll name the podcast after my guy, Des Bryant. But um, let's go. So, I am joined today by a clever young man entitled Yusuf. Yusuf, what's good? Good evening, everybody. I'm proud to be on this Dysonomics podcast. We've had a couple of technical issues to get here. But, Mate, uh, <laughs> hella technical difficulties. And it's funny because yeah. both, both of our teams are playing each other tomorrow. How are you feeling about the game? Tomorrow's game is a big game. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't matter if we were first or bottom of the league playing United. We have to beat them at all costs. So it's good that we did it today and not tomorrow because one of us would be... No, I'm very hey, unhappy tomorrow. I'll be unhappy if United win. I can't lie. I need I need Jose Mourinho to get his bitch ass out of here. <laughs> so I'm actually obviously I, I as much as I hate Liverpool and I hate their fans, 
Actually, this is probably like a win-win situation for me. <laughs> if we win, then yeah, it's good. Like Liverpool fans shut up a bit. But yeah. if we lose, then more eyes on Jose Mourinho. So that's true. That's true. Well, I'm hoping for more eyes on Jose Mourinho tomorrow. Yeah, I can't have you not winning the league though. God forbid. Oh well, <laughs> God's on our side. I hope this year. Nah, nah, he's not. He's not. <laughs> anyway, so to the podcast. So as people can guess by the title, it's gonna be about Theresa May, aka Claire Underwood. If you've watched House of Cards. <laughs> You know why I said that. Have you, you watch House of Cards yourself? I do watch House of Cards. I haven't watched the, the latest season yet. I know she's... I'm actually not going to give away anything, but I know it's, she's got a lot of clout this season, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to watch that soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's moving like... Bruv, she is moving mad. Like She's moving like Underwood. She's not going at is any cost. It? So, uh, so where sh- doesn't fall far from the tree, they say. Yeah, so, okay. So, where should we start, um, start off first? Um, should we go for like a... A timeline of of the event. So Yusuf, you could take us away. You could give us the you could give us the gist on the chronological order. So Monday. Okay. So what was the big news on Monday? Yeah. So Monday this week kicked off um, very much uh, in in a frenzy because the European Court of Justice, uh, the ECJ, which are basically the Supreme Court of the EU, they deal with you know matters with uh, European law. They interpret the law um, and they make sure that the EU law is applied across the whole uh, of the member states, they basically ruled um, that the UK can legally withdraw their Brexit notification uh, that triggered Article 50. Mm. Um, And obviously we know, well, we already knew that referendums are not legally binding because referendum was a couple of years ago. People had kind of forgot that actually this whole Brexit process, it generally can be stopped by the government if they don't want to actually do it. Um, however, obviously, due to democratic and moral issues and blah, blah, blah. That'll um, be, uh, obviously... yeah, you'll be, if, if you just stop the whole process, you're done out in these streets. Yeah, so politically, that would be like, obviously, it would be like a political massacre for the Conservative Party. So uh, that's not happened. But in any case, in the legal EU framework, it is possible for them uh, to withdraw. Um, and it just meant that the, you know, the last 18 months, Theresa May, she's been locked in intense negotiations uh, to sort out the key issues around the UK's uh, exit. Um, and so for people to start now thinking, actually, we could stop this. And, you know, people like Tony Blair, um, they've been active in saying that, you know, this can be stopped. Um, she's had a whole uh, host of issues. Um, and obviously, 18 months is a long time to be negotiating for someone to just turn around and say, you know what, this whole thing can be stopped. And I thought it'd be good to kind of give the listeners a kind of refresh uh, on some of the things that are included in this so-called Brexit withdrawal agreement. Um, and, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to go in, uh, just touch on a couple or three kind of the main things. Um, yeah, go for it. Let the people know. The, so the withdrawal agreement, um, and this is purely the withdrawal, like how are the UK going to leave? It's got no kind of uh, repercussions of a future UK-EU relationship. This is purely a divorce bill. Um, and it consists of three kind of main areas. The first uh, is citizens' rights, and this is in no particular order. Um, and citizens' rights is basically um, how to kind of safeguard the rights of, of the EU citizens that live in the UK and also the UK uh, citizens that reside in the EU as well. Um, and the so they've already agreed um, that the rights should remain uh, as they are currently. Um, and May, Theresa May, initially, she wanted to limit that scope to those EU nationals uh, who enter the UK before 29 March 2019, which is the official Brexit day. Um, but she lost out on that. Um, and now uh, the EU have basically said any EU nationals that arrive in the UK up until the end of the transition period, um, and that even ha- that's even been extended to 2022, um, they would have full rights as an as a, as a EU national based in the UK. Um, and this includes, of course, the right to work, the right to live, the right to study, and the right to move. Um, and this includes all 28, uh, all other 27 member states. And so, as you know, um, one of the big issues regarding the kind of Brexit referendum before 2016 was all about immigration. Yep. And big what issue. this does is it doesn't stop any immigration under any kind of rule for the next, at least next three, four years. Uh, and so that's obviously a big thing. And, uh, that's a big L still. Uh, yeah, um, and so uh, even within the transition, the citizens' rights will still be kind of allowed. So the second big thing is the divorce bill. So how much the UK will pay, and obviously we remember those great big buses uh, on um, how much money the UK will save and what they can, uh, how much money they can plump uh, into the uh, NHS. Um, but the UK they will they will have to pay. Uh, and if you remember David Davis, he was the former 
Brexit secretary. Uh, he led the Department um, of Exiting of the European Union. Um, he said before, uh, to, he said to Jean-Claude Juncker, the European Commission, that actually the UK don't have to pay anything. And there's nowhere in the EU law that says Britain even owed money uh, to begin with. But um, that wasn't the case. The, there's budgetary plans that the EU make that rely on kind of contributions to the EU um, to the, from the member states. And so the UK and EU have agreed that they'll pay £39 billion by 2020 to cover its contributions uh, to the EU budget. So um, for those who are arguing that, you know, leaving the EU will save us X amount of money, you know, just to withdraw alone, um, it will be £39 billion. Um, and the last part, uh, but by no means the least uh, important and perhaps arguably is one of the most important, um, is the Irish border, the question of Ireland. Um, and this is by far the most delicate, I would say, and the most complicated issues because... Yeah, 100%. It's not just kind of economic uh, issues here. You're talking about uh, two countries that have had a very um, violent history, a uh, very recently violent history as well. Um, and the aim is to uh, ensure that the Good Friday Agreement um, is upheld. And just a little bit about the Good Friday Agreement. It's an agreement that basically ended the troubles that happened in Northern Ireland uh, in 1998. And a Brexit that doesn't ensure the stability of both Northern Ireland and Ireland, um, it can take the countries back, potentially, back to an era of militarization, of terrorism, of chaotic instability. And um, the argument currently is that um, the UK have initially, they proposed a technological solution that was rebuffed by both Ireland uh, and the European Union. Um, and the EU proposed uh, that Northern Ireland could, in effect, stay in the single and customs union, um, but this was uh, again this is met by outrage by the prime minister. So the EU themselves have to move that position. Um, and so well, where, where we're currently at is something called an Irish backstop. Um, and you must have heard the word backstop every day across a lot of different media. And the mm. backstop essentially um, is that the whole of the UK um, remain in the EU customs union, while Northern Ireland follow single market rules. Uh, and so what are single market rules for listeners? So, yeah, so I thought it would be good to kind of explain that as well. So I think, firstly, before we understand the single market, I thought it would be good to look at what a customs union is. And a customs union is basically ensures, um, it's like a policy that ensures that all the countries in the EU, they charge the same, the same import duties, the same tariffs on goods and on services that come outside of the EU. Um, let's say, for example, China. So whatever Chinese product enters the EU, no matter which country enters, whether it be France or Spain or Italy or Hungary, they all have the same kind of price. Um, and that is kind of called, you know, harmonization process. Whereas the single market um, is even like a higher level than that because it aims to break down all the barriers to trade across all the uh, countries and across all the 500 million EU citizens um, by ensuring the full freedoms are kept intact. So the freedom of movement, of goods, of services, of capital and labour. And so single market, what it does, it eliminates tariffs, but it also reduces costs and administrative burdens by applying one of the um, one set of rules across all member states. So that is like a, a, a high level uh, process that's called harmonisation. And so should the UK leave the EU, the burden of costs and administration uh, to process imports, um, it would be on them. And what the ministers, the MPs are currently arguing is that a uh, uh, a backstop, an Irish backstop that ensures uh, the UK remain in the customs union and Northern Ireland follow single market rules. They're basically saying that this will allow, this will force the UK to be shackled and to be changed to EU rules, which arguably it will be. You know, mm. that is a genuine valid argument. But what's more important here, being shackled to EU, EU rules or allowing um, uh, 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 EU, uh, the Irish border to be intact? So it's a very, very tricky argument. And that's why there's been a lot of chaos this week. And um, that was just Monday. So that was just Monday. The ECJ have said, you know, legally the UK can leave um, the uh, the EU. And so on Tuesday, uh, there was already a lot of kind of speculation regarding the, the, the meaningful votes uh, that was meant to occur on Wednesday. Um, but May, once she realised she it was a high possibility that she would lose out on this, uh, she pulled out from the Brexit vote. Didn't she um, say that she wasn't even going to pull out from it as well? Sorry? Didn't she say that she won't pull out from the vote as well? I think she said, the thing, she said there will be... like she, There will she be a vote, sorry. Yeah, yeah. she guaranteed a meaningful vote. Um, and once she kind of thought, oh, crap, this could not actually work. Um, and she was scheduled. Had she had done the vote this Wednesday, 
she would have lost emphatically and that would have been a disaster. So once you've realised that, she kind of, she stopped um, and she pulled back and she said, you know, she'll rearrange. Um, uh, and so once she did pull out on Tuesday, she went on, you know, what some commentators call a diplomatic dash. So she quickly ran across the pond, went into Europe. Um, she started off going to Mark Rutte, uh, the um, the Netherlands uh, head of state. They met in Den Haag um, and that's potentially her closest ally. So she went to him first. Um, to kind of ensure, kind of get some reassurances, to kind of get some support. Um, we know she also went to Berlin for lunch in the same day. She met Marco uh, and she also stopped in Brussels as well. She met with uh, the president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker. She met the president of the European Council, Donald Tusk. Um, and she basically went to seek some more support, some political support. Um, but she also went to see, she went to kind of do like a bit of a litmus test to see what, what the EU officials are kind of saying um, on what's happening domestically. Um, and then on Wednesday, what we found out is that when once we got the reports back from this diplomatic dash, um, you know, the EU, one EU diplomat, he said this is a mission of desperation because she didn't get nothing in The Hague. She didn't get nothing in Berlin. She got nothing in Brussels. And at each stop, she didn't actually get what she was looking for. And what she wanted, she wanted a shared uh, determination among EU leaders to support her Brexit deal. Uh, she wanted to get assurances um, that the backstop designed to protect the Irish border, that I just said about, um, that it was temporary and not a shackle to the EU, uh, as some British MPs think. So her thought process is that even though the UK will, uh, it could potentially, like part of the deal is that the UK does remain in a customs union and Northern Ireland in a single market to protect um, the um, Northern Irish border, some MPs have been cynical and said this is like a long-term plan to stay as close, uh, closely aligned to the EU as possible. possible yeah, Whereas her argument is that it's just a temporary backstop. So um, there's a lot of cynicism and a lot of lack of trust going on. And rightly so, you know, there's a lot of division right now um, among the Conservative Party. So continuing on, um, so she didn't gain any any sort of, you know, proper, you know, anything tangible to bring back. Um, she got a bit of goodwill, but Merkel did tell her parliament um, there'll be no further opening um, of the withdrawal agreement. Tusk, you know, he did tweet that the uh, the EU27, they wanted to help, um, but the question was, how could they help? Uh, and Juncker said in a speech, um, he, he spoke to the European Parliament on that Tuesday evening, he said there's no room whatsoever for re renegotiation because, you know, he said potentially um, there was 18 months now of dialogue and negotiating and going back and forth with only just literally three months left. Um, you want to switch could, up again? Yeah, it could end up in, you know, the whole deal could end up in flames. So um, on Wednesday, as we know as well, very early on. Um, That's the, the main day. Yeah, the motion, the motion to dismiss, the motion of no confidence. Um, it was so what, 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 is a, what is a motion of no confidence? Mm, so a motion of no confidence is basically a vote. Um, it basically states that the prime minister or the head of state, whoever's in power at the time, is no longer deemed fit to hold the position. Is no so longer, who, who, who gets to vote on this? Um, so the MPs... All the MPs in the in that certain party are able to vote, but this specific uh, vote of no confidence it was actually spearheaded by what is called the 1922 committee. And these guys are, you know, they're formally known firstly as the Conservative Private Members Committee, and they're basically made up of exclusive backbench Tory MPs. Um, and that what that, that exclusivity what it does it it allows them to have a space uh, to discuss kind of concerns and uh, coordinate their parliamentary activities independent and free from from bench influence and meddling. So the, this this motion of no confidence on Wednesday, it was spearheaded by this 1922 committee. And um, what it did, you needed 48 uh, Tory MPs uh, to sign this letter or to send a letter um, to, to trigger this. And that was triggered on Wednesday. Um, and so the Tory MPs, there was a total of 15% of them. They, they, they signed the letters of expressing no confidence in Theresa May after she pulled out of the vote uh, on a Brexit, um, on a Brexit deal. Um, and so later that evening, around between six and eight o'clock, there was uh, the vote. So the vote was the same day. So this was a very kind of, you know, boom, boom. It happened immediately. Um, she won the vote. She won the vote, you know, which is I important. had a feeling she, she was going to win the vote. I, saw, uh, I, had a, I had a slight feeling. I was like, rah. Yeah, she, I saw your she, tweets as well. She, so. but she, she's a machine. I don't know how she does it. She survives every Higgy situation. She, she did survive. Um, and it's not the first thing she survived either. So it's important that, you know, for her that she did survive. But... I personally, I thought, I thought this was it, you know, because she she pulled out of the deal, um, to, to, she pulled out of the vote, you know, and that already uh, that already sent a lot of alarm bells, um, mm. and and I didn't realize actually, I didn't think, um, because when when they when the first letter of no confidence was sent in, 
Um, I can't remember who it was. It might have been like Jacob Reed Mossels or Mog or someone like that. When the first letter was signed in, um, it, it took actually, after like one or two days of clout, it didn't actually get a lot of signatories. Um, that was that was a week or two ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And so I thought it might have been dead. You know, I thought they didn't, they didn't garner enough. Maybe they weren't coordinated enough in their attempts to sway some MPs to sign it. But obviously... One day is a long day in politics now. These nowadays, Trust. never mind one or two weeks. So obviously, so she got the vote. Um, she she won the vote. Uh, she won by two hundred votes, two hundred seventeen. So even though on the face of it she survived, she won the vote. You know, and it looks like she can press on with her agenda. Um, eighty three. The margin of eighty three is still relatively it's quite an uncomfortable margin. Um, and it's actually the one hundred seventeen against is more. Um, than the Brexit than, um rebellion, brilliant. Yeah. Period is much more actually than they initially expected. So it doesn't do anything to like empower her. her. Yeah. Yeah. Enhance her authority. And in the same way, when she called that snap election um, and she thought she was going to increase her majority and, you know, have like a proper big majority in government, you know, it, it went totally the opposite way. She lost seats. She ended up having to side with the DUP. Uh, and so in a similar way, she's, she's survived, but you know, not, not, in effect, it hasn't done anything to kind of um, unify, the, unify the party. Um, however, what she did state, and which was, again, I, I suppose domestically, this is quite important for the future of the country. She said she wouldn't fight for another general election. Yeah, um, so by um, before 2022, you should be out of here. Exactly. So, you know, already we already had, you know, a couple of ideas of who would potentially be some leaders, some names that are being thrown about, people like Sajid Javid, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, um, even Amber Rudd. So people are kind of, um, Didn't she compete with Amber Rudd for the job in the first place? I'm not actually sure, but I uh, think she it? might have. I think uh, she might have. I remember it was a lady. I think it was Amber Rudd. I'll 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 check right now. But yeah, go on. Mm. And obviously, importantly as well, what this once you do once you pass a motion of no confidence, it means that another motion can't be passed for. Can't, yeah, for can't a year? Pass another year. Yeah. yeah. So she's good for a year. And considering Brexit, you know, uh, the crunch date is 29 March 2019. She would be, you know, she's she's calm for now, let's say. Um, it buys a little bit of time. So moving on to Thursday, you know, and perhaps a little bit, you know, the atmosphere is a bit subdued. Um, I'm not sure if you know Laura uh, Kassenberg from, from, from BBC. She's she's very active on Brexit. And if anybody doesn't follow her, I definitely recommend to, to follow her. I don't know her. I don't know her at to hand, but it's Laura Kostenberg, so she gives like live updates all the time about Brexit. She basically said the result was it was bad for all sides um, because on one hand, over a third of the Conservative Party don't see a fit and able to lead the party um, and nor the cabinet, nor the government and you know the nation by extension. Um, but on the other hand, uh, it was the last chance for Brexiteers to dethrone her. It was the last chance for those guys to say, we don't want you, we need someone else, we need someone more charismatic, someone to give us a different deal, someone to be a bit more firm with the European Union. And so on both sides, you know, she's staying, um, but she's not got, a, you know, she's not got any kind of power or influence in her own party. On the other hand, uh, she's also staying because the, uh, the, it's bad for the Brexiteers because she's staying and there's no one else that they can actually lead uh, right now. So it was a bit of a lose-lose situation across the board. Um, and on the back of that win, she didn't manage to go back to Brussels because it was the European summit uh, this week. And uh, just a little bit of background info on the European uh, Council is what is officially called the European summit. Um, it happens four times a year where all the EU leaders come together, they discuss the big pressing issues. Uh, but these are kind of formal uh, meetings and they tend to happen um, each uh, quarter. However, uh, there's a lot of unofficial um, um, summits that happen as well and sometimes they happen in Brussels sometimes they go to like a um, one of the member states uh, one of the one of the capitals across Europe but the heads of states recently they have met a lot lot more than four times a year but this is one of the official ones um, and so she went and she went in hope to push for extra concessions from Europe um, mm -hmm. and she wanted to get her a DP allies a full yellow mission boy mm. um, and so she went uh uh, to try and, and and get some concessions basically from Europe, she tried to uh, and and in the hope was that the, her DUP allies and it, her, a significant number of the Tory backbenchers would get back on her side. Um, and if not, you know, it was you know potentially a near impossible task at that point, um, as the vote it still needs to happen. And the meaningful vote that she she dismissed on Wednesday, it will still happen in January, um, inshallah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> I was, and with just over, you know, twelve weeks remaining, it's looking looking very sticky. 
uh, situation because of the possibility of a no deal Brexit, which, you know, not many, many people want, even the Brexiteers want, um, it's becoming more and more likely. So that brings us on to Friday, which is yesterday. Um, and we saw, I'm not sure if you saw, but there was very uncomfortable exchange between May and Yonka. Did you see that video? It's like no, 20 seconds long. No, I haven't even seen that video, you know. They were they were in that big kind of conference room and all the leaders were there and she kind of um she was speaking and she, I think what looked like she was confronting uh young Claudia Juncker the president of the European Commission um and it looked quite heated uh because of the comments um that he said which I'm going to get onto in, in in a second um and Mark Rutte the uh, the, the the Netherlands uh, head of state had to come over and kind of settle things down but it looked very kind of uh cold um and so it's showing that even 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 the people who actually publicly backed her before are even saying now, actually, you know, you're moving a bit, you know, you're moving a bit mad these days. Mm. Um, so her, uh, Juncker basically said, um, and he said quite emphatically, any form of renegotiation is off the table, is off the cards. She went in the hope to try and um, renegotiate the, uh, the Irish backs up to see if something is more plausible. Um, and they said, we've been discussing this for 18 months. Our position is clear. Brexit, you're due to leave the EU. You're due to become a third country in three months' time. There is no room whatsoever for renegotiation. So her pledge to secure some concessions on the Irish backstop is in trouble. You know, the EU27, they criticised her approach um, and they offered nothing more than, you know, a watered-down statement of support. Um, mm. And yet again, you know, Theresa May and this happened many, many times. She's returned back to the UK with little to nothing to show for her efforts. You know, how many times have you heard that? You know, she's gone to Berlin, she's gone to Paris, she's gone to Brussels and she's come back empty. Kind of like when you send your... Kind of like when my mom just sent us to the shots or come back with nothing. She used to get mad. Like, <laughs> she used to get mad all the time. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. Yeah, she used to keep going um, on these trips, just racking up the air miles and coming back with nish. Yeah, so, you know, and it's not even like she's sending the Brexit secretary or the foreign uh, um, the foreign secretary. She's going herself. You know, she's going at a very kind of... She's moved pretty military. With, like, she's kind of like taking the, taking the majority of the workload in terms of... She has. Sometimes the chief negotiator... If the chief negotiator is resigning the day you announced the, the, the kind of deal you had with the EU. That exactly. kind of says a lot about what happened exactly. in that process. And what it shows is that also she's this is, she's now with her third Brexit secretary in two years. Obviously, firstly, it was David Davis, but he resigned in July this year. Um, mm. Then Dominic Raab came in and he resigned just last <laughs> month and I can't back this deal. And now she's with Stephen Barclay. I don't even know who Stephen Barclay is. You know, I, 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 she's got no confidence in her own kind of aids, um, and so she, that's why I probably that's probably the reason why she has to do a lot of these things herself. So, um, so Younger basically said, you know, no room for negotiation, and he also uh, said um, he he criticised her nebulous and imprecise approach. And what I saw on Twitter as well, like this was quite, you know, it sparked quite a bit of a bit of a frenzy because not many people know what nebulous means so I had to go and even Google it myself and basically means a vague and ill-defined concept. She went to the Brussels and she saw the 27 member states and she didn't actually know what to say. She didn't know what to ask for um, and Juncker said, uh, and this is a quote, we don't want the UK to think that there can be any form of renegotiation. That is crystal clear. We can add clarifications but no real changes and there'll be no legally binding obligations imposed on the withdrawal uh, treaty so um that's you know that's that's where we're at right now uh, so that was yesterday so right now she's she's in a very very uh, particular situation um and there are the couple, there are a couple of options going forward but um the main one uh, is the well the the one that they're sticking with the current government uh, official plan is to press ahead with the efforts uh, to to try and win back um, the Tory Brexiteers and their backbenchers and gain the support of the DUB uh, uh, to support May's Brexit deal, um, but this this actually rests in on the hope that the EU will change some of its legal language. But even though they've literally just said there's no room for negotiation for her to win back, did you see that? Did you see that? Um, did you see that video um, of the guy from Luxembourg? They're like, oh. Oh, he was. They asked him a question like, oh, "I saw, yeah." And he's like, "Listen, Brexit was my idea. That's you man's idea." Like, yeah, he said Brexit was your choice. <laughs> he said Brexit was your choice, no. my dog. <laughs> if you don't give her the concessions that she needs, that deal will fail in Parliament, and you might end up with no deal. Yes. Are you prepared to run that risk? The Brexit is your choice, not mine. 
Yeah, <laughs> and actually, um, uh, Mark Rutte, the the the, the Netherlands um, head of state, he he said, you know, because um, someone asked him about the possibility of an exit. He goes, "You guys think there's going to be an exit after we've just saw the chaos that's happening with, with Britain? It's absolutely no chance that's going to happen." Yeah, because you know? um, the Netherlands was one of the countries earmarked along with the Italians to kind of like you know, hundred percent. But you know, Brexit and, and and I think these countries must be thinking, joy, yeah. If, yeah. if big big Britain, yeah. Are getting a happy slap by this negotiating table and can't get out. That's exactly us, Holland. Exactly. Let us let us just stay here and just play our role, bro. Hundred percent. And like that's part of that's one of the kind of strategies of the European Union to not be nice to the uh, UK, be reasonable and kind of offer kind of you know uh, things that are in their interest as much as theirs. But at the end of the day, if you make leaving the European Union something nice something enticing then it, trust me it's not going to be just Britain that's going to be um, going for it it's going to be other countries too so part of the EU's kind of um, process and strategy is to make sure that leaving the European Union is not actually a nice thing so there's no actually incentive for them to or at least there's little incentive I, I won't say there's no incentive but there's little incentive for them to to make this a very sweet deal for the UK all right, cool. So that's what's happened during the week. Shout out. See, I got my, my young prodigy Yusuf came with a real gist <laughs> from Monday to Monday to Saturday, well, Friday. So now you, we've, we've, you've commented um, eloquently on what's happened. Mm-hmm. People listen to this um, to get more real life, you know, um, ramifications and to hear opinions of bright people and what they think. So mm-hmm. what do you think happens next? Um, well, I know, for example... Um, there is one faction um, led by the Chancellor, Philip Hammond, um, and he wants May to allow Parliament, the UK Parliament and House Commons, to vote on all possible outcomes. And that includes a second referendum. Uh, and, though, and he wants this because he wants to establish um, what the uh, MPs would be willing to support. Um, there's also a second faction, and this faction is basically dominated by Brexiteers, and they want the Prime Minister to announce that uh, a no-deal exit is now the government's central planning uh, assumption. So you've got three camps here. Um, Philip Hammond on one side saying uh, he needs he wants a vote on everything uh, to make sure this is as fair as possible. You've got the Brexiters on another side saying um, the government, uh, they need to really be prepared now for a no-deal since there's only three months left. Um, but you also got the official number 10 saying we're going to try and continue uh, pressing ahead with the European Union, trying to tweak the legal text trying to get the backbenchers and the DP on our side so um, as we're entering now into the Christmas period and obviously parliament is close all eyes will be now in January and I think it's either the 14th or the 21st one of those dates uh, I think it's the 14th where the meaning of the vote will happen so I think up until now up until then like for, for like a month from now I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement but then again you have no idea what's going to happen okay cool year, but um, personal opinion time out of all d- out of the three factions yeah which one do you side with personally the most oh um okay I'm, I, if I'm going to come from a personal perspective I feel like I need to give the, uh, the listeners and perhaps yourself as well some context of um who I am because yeah Joy I, we should start a podcast with that I actually usually do that I completely forgot so sorry oh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah right. in fact yeah who, who, the, who, who the hell are you yourself who like, the hell am I <laughs> yeah uh, well I'm Yusuf. If if my name hasn't been mentioned, yeah. I'm a current. I'm I'm currently a, a student. Um, I've studied politics and IR uh, at Loughborough. Currently, that's, that's international student. relations, by the way. People yeah, international say. relations. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. But I'm also. Um. I was born in the Netherlands, and I'm a Dutch citizen. Uh. And so I've moved to this country some years ago, but I'm not a British citizen. Um. And I'm still a European. So citizen, you're the, so, you're so you're some of the people. That, so you're so this matters yeah. quite quite closely to yeah. you. I'm one of the three million whose citizens' rights, you know, wanted, uh, needs kind of um, clarification, affirmation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I was, I was lucky enough to to work in Brussels um, this year and last year. I spent a year working in Brussels on Brexit, on EU affairs, and actually, I was at an event with um, uh, the the president of the European Parliament, uh, Antonio Tajani, and I basically asked him directly, you know, head on. I said, you know, I'm a I'm a European citizen, um, but I live in the UK, and so does all my family. What kind of um, what kind of rights will you guarantee for people like me? Because there will be no Brexit deal. There will be no Brexit deal that the European Union will accept and agree on and sign if there's full. If there's no full kind of protection of EU rights, so 
um, I'm a direct beneficiary, me and my family, of these movements of the ability to be able to move, to mm. work, to live and to study. And actually, you know, we've probably taken it for granted for the last decade because we never assumed that this kind of um, Brexit will ever happen. Yeah, facts. Um, and so we're here purely actually on our EU, on the basis of the fact that the EU actually allows us to live here. So, um, so, so now that you know that, I feel like by default, I am a Remainer um, because I know that the EU has had a personal impact on my life and on my upbringing. Um, and despite its deficiencies as well, even despite my personal stuff, when I look at the EU from like an objective perspective, I quite like what the EU do for the UK um, and I quite like its role uh, in, in the European Union. I feel like there's quite a lot of... Um, there's quite a lot of what's the word I'm looking for misconceptions, um, and I also feel like it might it might be quite of an, a bit of an attitude, a bit of a cultural issue that the British people have because Britain has always been like quite isolated. I feel I feel like mm. I feel like if it was up to Britain, and if you look at the context of when it actually uh, acceded to the European Union in 1973, I feel like that's on the that's on the back of the fact that the British Empire, uh, a lot of its colonies became like, independent. Like, yeah, in the 60s, yeah, quite a lot of them yeah, in the 60s. Exactly. Yeah. And so in, a, in a post-war, it wasn't like, it wasn't economically booming. It was kind of suffering from the post-war ramifications. So I feel like if Britain never actually suffered post-war uh, and going into the Cold War, I, and if it was still kind of, um, it had that global influence uh, around the world and it's still kind of like an economic and diplomatic power. I don't think it would have even uh, set, been in the EU in the first place. Uh, and that's probably reflected in some of the policies. It was never been a part of the Schengen area. That's the area that allows you to move passportless and uh, with no ID card and you can just move from, you know, you can drive through many countries, probably some of the views have already been, you know, uh, have driven through Europe or or trained through Europe even uh, without having to kind of be stopped at every single country. The UK has never been part of that Schengen area. If the EU national, it has to show its documents to get into the UK. It's never been part of the single market. Um, sorry, it's never been part of the Eurozone even. It's never adopted the Euro. It's always kept the British pound. And so I feel like it's always been part of, it's always had like a, a different relationship. It's never been entirely integrated to the European Union. And so I'm not, I probably I'm not 100% surprised that people don't actually want to be in it. But at the same time, as you, as you asked from a personal perspective, I'm going to decide to remain um, and at all costs, despite, despite the fact that I know there might be potentially, potentially very late and further down the line, I'm talking in probably in a decade or two decades time, there might be some positive that comes out of, the, of leaving the EU. But right now, from an economics perspective and also from a personal perspective, I I personally I can't see a lot of benefits. What about you? Um, I was a uh, I voted Remain, and that was mainly due to the fact that I knew what happening, what's happening now is was going to happen. To me, it was pretty obvious. Um, David Cameron gave um, us this referendum, kind of in a two part, in, in my opinion. Two two is the main reasons. One, I think he expected um, the country to vote Remain, and that kind of be. And that will kind of like yeah. certify his legacy. He gave the country a referendum. They agreed, blah, blah, blah. And also because the country's demanding it. Um, I don't think they anticipated losing. Um, the rise of populism in the UK was something that was kind of like unnoticed. And with the lack of um, belief that um, Brexit, that the vote was going to go against um, against um, Team Remain, the, um, the Conservative Party and by, and by and large UK politics was completely unprepared for this and then if you look at 100%. Uh, when you're unprepared you're going into negotiation with how many 26, 27 different member states and they have to make an example of you they can't give you an easy deal mm-hmm. so going into that negotiation was always going to be extremely difficult to come out with a um, favourable deal let alone if you're unprepared so <laughs> then you lose your Prime Minister you get in and nobody wants to take this, nobody wants to take it on because they know that this is an L, like this is a mm-hmm. fat L. Obviously, to me, it's a male, it's like, yolo, like, man's involved. And <laughs> so, and so you'll get, then you, you're also getting Remainers, people who didn't really want to leave in the first place, trying to negotiate this deal. So I always kind of felt that, um, no, nah, don't leave because I do not trust the, the powers that be to negotiate a good deal. My estimation, I think I even wrote a blog about this, that I reckon that, the deal that will end up being signed will look like you're still in the European Union, but you just have less decision-making power. It's just like a watered-down deal. And 100%. that is essentially what Theresa May signed. <laughs> so that is the reason yeah. why I voted um, Remain. Uh, ideally, I'm not too fond of the European Union. I don't really... Economically, it doesn't really make much sense. I don't understand how you can have unilateral... Um, what's it called? Trade um, policy. Yeah, yeah. And you have... you know. 
everybody, the, the monetary policy, so you've got the European Central Bank that sets interest rates and all that type of stuff. Um, that is centralised, but um, you can do whatever you want fiscally. And then you have some countries being hit of a stick for messing up fiscally. So you're looking at the pigs nation, which is Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, Spain. Mm-hmm. But Germany and France could do whatever the hell they like. Like hundred percent. So so yeah. So that's um, and also I just don't see EU as a massive power as it was before. But then again, on the flip side, in terms of trade, everybody talks about trade this, trade that. We can trade the rest of the world. To trade, you have to have something to trade. Like <laughs> you can't just say yeah, trade. No, you have to be yeah. able to give some give something and be able to return something and return. Mm-hmm. Most of like I think it's like fifty five percent of the UK's trade is with the you know, um European Union. Yeah. Um, and most of it is services. It's not even yeah, exactly. So, in terms of the trade benefits from like um, liaising with other um, you know countries, I'm not sure the UK has enough to offer. Same way. So that is my stance in terms of what's going on now. In terms of if you got, oh, you got um, Eva, you got the what's his name, the Chancellor's checker, Philip Hammond's um, view of less, um, you know, vote and everything. You got the Brexiters like prepare for no for a, a no deal and you've also got obviously number 10 who's like okay let's sort this out I think I'm I kind of swaying in between Phil Hammond's side and the Brexit side I feel like you have to prepare for a no deal because it's literally three months away you have to it would be stupid not to it would be, be, stupid not be, to. be really um, what's what I'm looking for uh, naive malpractice to not prepare for a but I think yeah, I think you should bring it back to the people. And I, I was so anti um, re-referendum because, like, mainly because I understand that maybe you should have enough referendum because a lot of people were voting under false pretenses, like people buying a hell of dreams. It was such a poor uh, uh, referendum campaign. Yeah, from both sides, both sides. From, from everybody. Yeah, but at the same time, I have a serious worry about the, the rise in populism in the UK. So that's not just... Um, populism being um, on the right wing side but also on the left wing side so I'm not a fan of Corbyn whatsoever but I'm also mm. not a fan of people straying to the far right so I feel like if you give the people another referendum the people that are like well we wanted to leave the, the EU mm. we're tired of these immigrants that, even mm. though they've got no real reason well no real um, economic reason to be mm. um, really fearful but that's for another day you might get a further backlash in the next general election. So I'm I'm a bit worried about that. But then again, at the same time, I feel like we should be able to, it's probably more democratic to vote on everything. So yeah, that's true. But with the vote is like, I'm the one thing I feel like uh, it makes sense to bring it back to a people's vote and to bring it back uh, to, 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 to a vote uh, before Brexit is signed off. But I'm also wary of um, what the, what kind of political commentator is called voter fatigue. I'm not sure um, how much people, what the appetite is for actually going out again and voting because we've had in the last three years, 2015 general election. Uh, in 2016, we had obviously the, the Brexit referendum. Uh, in 2017, we had uh, the snap election. Mm. Um, and now we're in 2018, uh, 2019, potentially. Not only is there a possibility of a another snap election should she go and should somebody else come in power but also the possibility of a second referendum on the brexit or a possibility of a vote on the deal so there's a lot of voting going on and a lot of people i've had a couple conversations in the last couple of days and people when 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 kind of the average person you speak to like your friends or whatever your colleagues uh, who are not following this as intensely and as intimately they say you know what's going on you know what's what's happening yeah, and they're, and they're thinking, you know, why 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 is it so long? Uh, why can't we get along with it? Why can't we just um, get a deal and move forward? You know, people are getting fed up and people are getting tired of Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. And there's so much kind of legalistic jargon and kind of, you know, you have to really know a certain level of politics to kind of understand all the different people and, uh, uh, and also uh, issues that are involved as well. And a lot of people don't understand, unfortunately. Um, so when you do again, bring it back to the people. I agree that actually most of the majority of the population might be more informed about Brexit now than they were two years ago, but I feel like there might be still a great, actually, information gap 
um, especially if no one's there to actually break it down, which actually I feel like this podcast, by the way, shout out to you, Ayo, uh, for breaking down mm. things. I feel like it's a very useful uh, 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 thing to do. Um, but yeah, it, I feel like there might still be an information gap. That's why I might, I'm still a little bit wary of the, poten- of, of the potential of a, of a second referendum. Yeah, it's sticky. Okay, cool. So before we round this up, I want to ask you some full questions. So what are your thoughts on Theresa May? Um, um, uh, my thoughts on Theresa May as a, as, as a person, as a political leader, in what, in what capacity? All of them. In what, okay, all of them. I feel like, I'm not going to lie, she, she, uh, she was, I know her as the, as the home uh, office secretary. Mm. So I know her for her very kind of uh, uh, rigorous you're talking like very... you two, you know how went to the same school like you know, oh yeah, yeah. my nose are from back in the day you get me like we used to go yeah. power league I know Theresa May when I think and see of Theresa May I don't see the Prime Minister I see the person who's been so aggressive on, on issues and, uh, such as um, immigration but also things like prevent and anti-terrorism counter-terrorism uh, policies because she was home secretary for quite a while uh, under David Cameron so um, I feel like uh Contrary to popular belief, she's quite respected uh, among EU circles. Uh, she has quite a close relationship with people like Ruta and Marco and Macron as well. So, uh, and definitely Juncker. So, I feel like um, she's actually. I I think you know this might sound a bit weird. I'm and 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 I'm by no means actually a Conservative Party supporter. Um, but I don't think she is an issue. Because if the next person was in charge, they would have exactly the same difficulties, you know, Theresa May or no Theresa May. If we put in, for example, someone like um, Amber Rudd or Sajid uh, Javid, you know, they would still have to deal with the potential of Northern Ireland and Ireland breaking up um, and the Good Friday Agreement going into tatters, uh, as well as trying to handle the fact that the Brexiteers want no um, EU influence in the future UK uh, uh, EU relationship at all. So it is an unbelievable balancing act that she currently has to do. Um, and I feel like because she's the head of state, okay, maybe she might not be the greatest leader, but I feel like because she is the leader and she's got a lot of clout right now, if somebody else was in charge, they would have exactly the same issue. So I've kind of, in a weird way, I sympathise for her because I don't think it's, it's an easy situation to be in. But I don't like her. Uh, by the way <laughs> why don't you like her uh, for the reasons I mentioned before specifically you know I'm a young black Muslim mm. and her counter terrorism and prevent strategies I've felt and I've seen and I've witnessed and experienced firsthand uh, across my university uh, and I, I I've got a big issue with that but obviously that's a, that's a different ir- issue mm. but um, I think her immigration uh, policies are also they used to be quite uh, uh, not what's the word I'm looking for um Oh, I forgot the word, man. But problematic, no... evil, <laughs> harsh, um, unfair. Harsh. I think harsh. Yeah, I think harsh is the word. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, with Theresa May, I'm, I'm not a fan, really. Because also, do you remember the big buses that used to kind of say, you know, take back immigrants or you know, uh, or stop these people coming in or something like that? She used, she went on like a mad campaign like, a few years ago where you know she kind of advertised and advocated for people to kind of. Um, uh, uh, have like this anti-immigrant rhetoric and potentially you can even argue based on that that she might even be the reason why there is such an anti-immigrant rhetoric uh, that is spread. Yeah, she, that's, that's, one, that's one of the things that you can't, I can't really forgive her for. Um, her handling of, which is obviously the home sec, um, obviously my Caribbean people, they can relate with Windrush. Um, 100%. With Windrush. Um, also in terms of her performance, um, I admire her resilience. Like she's mad resilient. Like she's not, she they they've been trying to pam her out for the last year or two and she yeah. ain't going nowhere. Even the people try to pam her out. I don't even know how Corbyn won that many seats. Um mm-hmm. <coughs> that she, she had to sign a deal with the devil in terms of the DUP. Mm-hmm. But um I also she seems like somebody from what I've read in the FT and listening on to on podcasts and stuff and just from just using a bit of common sense, you have two Brexit secretaries resigned within three, four months, that mm-hmm. she seems to be somebody who's quite stub maybe not stubborn is the word, but like I'm not even sure she doesn't like mind. to devolve power. Yeah, yeah, doesn't like to devolve power. So she might be a micromanager or she might just be like, listen, you lot are just here for decoration. Like, I'm running this ship type of thing. Yeah. And the results haven't really been popping. But then again, I don't feel like, I felt like whoever took this job was on a botch it because I, I felt like you didn't have, you were not prepared enough. You don't, you don't have the mandate or the power of having a overwhelming majority where you could just get your chief whips to whip people and then boom, we're going to push whatever deal we get through. You don't have that luxury. So... Yeah, and also, I'm not sure if you saw the other, uh, like I think it was yesterday or the day before. Like David Cameron, he was walking in, into his car, and then he, and then the reporter kind of made him step out of his car just to kind of ask him what he thinks of the current situation. I'm not sure if you saw it, but I, as I said, I'm not I'm not a Conservative Party um, 
I'm not affiliated with them, but he was like the the difference in leadership and the difference in kind of um, approach. Like he had he had the whole uh, Conservative Party, you know, under wraps. Yeah, you know? word. Yeah, they're not they're not respecting May at all, get- fam. Like, exactly because who was his name um, that that punk Boris he's been undermining her from from day one like he's for a long, been, for a long time yeah like that couldn't really fly under camera and he kind of had it maybe because he obviously he won the vote of the people he kind of got to the top of the conservative party in his own way mm. whereas kind of Theresa May kind of like took the job that nobody wanted to do like so mm. she's like it's like she's the one who said oh, yeah I'll do, the, I'll do the night shift and yeah. it's like, all, right, <laughs> all right sis you can put all right go off, <laughs> sis like so yeah okay cool so well, I think we pretty much covered any everything. Um, Do you have any more questions? I'm trying to think if I have any more questions. I feel like this Brexit podcast it might need to be like you know it might happen it might have to happen again and it probably will happen again. No, it will hundred percent. Like, it's probably, like Brexit, Brexit is a is is such a mad moving thing. Like you can have a Brexit, you can have a a podcast on just Wednesday. You know. I, 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 I was actually Wednesday. thinking of doing two podcasts a week in 2019. Anyway, kind of a spoiler alert. But I'm gonna yeah. have to see how that runs. But there's too many things happening too across many the things, days and weeks. Too and many sometimes things. it's even difficult for us to catch up on. But something like this would ensure that we all have to kind of stay informed. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to do once, especially. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do two, two a week. But also that. But anyway, um, Yusuf, you you write, don't you? You write stuff, politics I stuff. Do. So where can the people where can the people find you? Um, I've got my main. In my main uh, social media is um, is on my Instagram, um, and it's not actually like a personal one. It's more of a it's more of like a uh, an entrepreneurial one. Um, essentially, like when I was working um, on my placement, I realized I, I was in Brussels, but I also this kind of the issue extended into the UK as well. I basically I realized that there's quite a lot of uh, there's too many. Um, or not enough, for example, not enough black and Asian minority ethnics, BAME even, uh, people in like professional spaces, especially within politics. Um, and that kind of sparked me. I thought kind of, I thought, why is this the issue? Uh, and uh, I basically I had a couple of conversations with some kind of business leaders um, and they, and we've kind of concluded, uh, at least the advice to, to be given was that actually people's initial applications when they apply for jobs um their initial supporting documents, such as the cover letter and the CV, uh, is actually not up to scratch. Uh, and so I thought, you know, I could, you know, based on um, based on the training that I received while I was working, I, I've basically translated that into into like a small little kind of business idea where now I help uh, uh, most of them. Most of my clients are young um, students between, let's say, sixteen to twenty-four, uh, who are either just about to enter the, the the world of work or I have just entered or looking to switch up. Um, I basically help them with their CVs and cover letters. So if you're interested in anything like that, my my Instagram is Yusuf Rights, which is Y-U-S-U-F. And that Rights is just W-R-I-T-E-S. You can catch me on there. Um, that's my main kind of my profile. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to to speak on this podcast Ayo uh, I'm sure we'll speak again yeah definitely definitely thank you Yusuf for joining us um, so make sure you check um, Yusuf Rights out very as, as you can tell from the podcast switched on very bright young man um, you. if you're listening to this on SoundCloud make sure you can follow me on Spotify as well so if you're listening to music on Spotify you can just search Dysonomics there as well as Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts as well so I'm everywhere so whatever device you have you can find me one way or another and I'm on some I think I'm on Stitcher or some other thing like that I can't remember but um, yeah make sure you download podcast follow subscribe all those things there and any questions you can hit up me or Yusuf anyway until, until next time peace see ya Sports Social Podcast Network